This morning we'll be reading from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, and then we'll turn back and read Micah chapter 5 again. It's Matthew chapter 2, 1 to 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born of born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Please now turn again to Micah chapter 5, and we'll be reading from verses 1 to 6. Hear the word of the Lord. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, those who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, though whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. Thanks. Well, uh, good morning. It's good to be with you as we uh, really now are getting into the uh, lead up uh, to Christmas, only a, a few weeks to go, uh, and everything I'm sure is getting really exciting for you and for your uh, families. We get closer. Now, uh, this morning we're uh, beginning a new sermon series called uh, The Songs of Christmas. This is our Christmas series for the year, and it's going to run all the way up until uh, Christmas Day itself. 
Now we're calling it uh, the Songs of Christmas because uh, what we're going to be doing is looking at well-known Christmas carols, the ones we uh, sing over and over during December, and we're going to have a look at them to see what truths do they show us from Scripture about the story of the birth of the Lord Jesus. That's perhaps a little bit unusual to do it that way. Typically, we just start with a Bible passage and then uh, work out from there uh, what God's saying. This time, we're going to start with a song, then go to Scripture and uh, try and do the same. So these are the songs that we sing every year. And our our hope is that uh, this will help us to think a little bit more deeply about them. Now, I should say some of them uh, will have more explicit links uh, to parts of Scripture than others. And uh, as your partial team was getting together to kind of plan this series out, when we started having a look at all the songs, we quickly realized that we, we'd run into an issue. And that issue is that all the Christmas songs talk about the same stuff. They all talk about the angels. They all talk about Jesus uh, being born in and placed in, in a manger, those sorts of things. And there's only a couple of passages in the Bible on those specific parts of the story. So rather than preaching the same passage five times in a row, we thought we'd broaden things out a bit and pick some Old Testament ones and some New Testament, try and mix it up. But all the passages will have a link to the story of Christmas and they'll tie into the songs that uh, we'll be talking about. So that's our plan uh, for the next few weeks. Now this morning we're starting uh, with the Christmas carol called O Little Town of Bethlehem. I bet you know that one. And the text that we're going to be particularly looking at is one of the ones that we just had read, Micah chapter 5. Now one of the themes that pops up in uh, our song, O Little Town of Bethlehem, there are a few themes. One that particularly pops up in verses 2 and 4 is the theme of peace. Now there's a line in verse 2 that reads as follows. There's, and praises sing to God the King and peace upon the earth. A peace. I wonder, it's something I think that we all recognize is, is a good thing to have. We all want peace. But I wonder, I don't know, is that what we typically think of when it comes to Christmas? I'm not sure what your experience is personally, but I get the sense that Christmas and the Christmas period can actually be quite a hectic time, quite a, a time of busyness. It might not just, it's not just that you're rushing to kind of finish off all your work before you go on holidays or that you're kind of scrambling to get presents in time for Christmas to give to your family and friends. It's not that you're maybe slaving away in the kitchen getting uh, Christmas lunch ready. Well, it's all the other stuff as well. You've got the the family get-togethers, the last-minute shopping, the overeating, the kids running loose, the rush to get everyone to church on time, the worries about the new year, that, that new job, that impending deadline. It's enough to maybe make you breathe a sigh of relief when Christmas is actually in the rearview mirror. Oh, peace. Who said anything about peace at Christmas. And yet, if we listen to the songs that we sing during Christmas, if we listen to what Scripture tells us, well, that's just what we find. A Christmas is indeed about peace. Now, this is something that's on the the mind of the prophet Micah as he is uh, going about prophesying to the people of Jerusalem, uh, which we read about in chapter 5. But if you notice, as we read that, 
the chapter doesn't start like that. It doesn't start by talking about peace. It actually starts with the opposite. It starts with a call to war, a call for God's people to get ready for battle. And why do they need to do that? Well, a siege is coming, Micah says. Now, the world power of the day at that time was the Assyrians. They were the biggest nation, the ones with all the power and might. And here Micah is saying those Assyrians are going to come and they are going to bring devastation to your very doorstep. In fact, this is a siege that you can read about in other parts of the Old Testament in places like Isaiah 36 and 2 Chronicles 32. Okay, This is a siege that definitely does take place. And Micah tells us just how bad the siege will be in the back half of the opening verse of chapter 5 where he says that with a rod they will strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. They'll strike the king of Israel on the cheek. I don't know if you've ever been uh, slapped on the cheek before, but that's a, it's a humiliating thing to suffer. I mean, just ask uh, Chris Rock after a Will Smith slapped him earlier this year. Right? That was the thing everyone was talking about. We couldn't believe that had taken place. A slap on the face is incredibly humiliating. Why? Well, because it shows you can't even protect your own face. It implies that you are weak and vulnerable. And the people of Israel, Micah says, they're not going to be slapped with a hand, but with a rod. That means this coming strike from the Assyrians will be devastating. Now, why is this happening? Okay, when anything like this happens in the Bible, it's never just, it's not random fate. Okay, it's not coincidence. There's a reason for this. In fact, that there are spiritual reasons behind the scenes. Well, in short, this is happening because the people of God have lost their way. And as a result, they now face God's judgment. Now, the earlier chapters of Micah, if you work your way through the book, the earlier chapters describe the judgment of God that is coming their way. And that judgment is coming for one reason and one reason only. And let me read to you from chapter 1, verse 5. Micah says this, All this, that is, all this judgment, is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. And as you keep going through the book in those early chapters, it seems those sins have a specific form. They have a specific flavor, you could say. What is it? Well, the the form, the flavor is weak leadership. That's the big problem in Israel, according to Micah. As you read through those early chapters, over and over again, it's said that those who are in leadership positions in Israel are failing to do their duty. Okay, that's what weak, a weak leader is someone who doesn't do what they're supposed to do. And so in, in Micah, in his day, that meant that rather than protecting the people under their charge, what were they doing? They were taking advantage of them. Okay, they, they used the people for their own selfish ends. So in uh, chapter two, verse two, Micah speaks of leaders who, and I quote, covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. 
They oppress a man and a house and his house, a man and his inheritance. Okay, that's what the leaders are like. But even the religious leadership in Israel is looking, doing the same thing, looking out for itself. Okay, here's from chapter three, verse 11. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. So not only are the leaders of Israel being totally self-seeking, but they're straight up lying to the people of God about what God would think of their immoral and evil behavior. Now that's something like if, if a ship's captain was to drill holes in the boat that they were sailing and tell the passengers at the same time, actually everything's fine, we're expecting smooth sailing on our trip. That's the type of weak leadership that's happening in Israel. When you have leaders who put themselves before those that they're leading. And this is why this strike on the cheek is coming, Micah says. And it's why it's going to be so devastating. Okay, God will not allow weak and evil leaders to persist in bringing his people to ruin. Now, if, if things stop there at Micah 5 verse 1, well, that would, would be quite a bleak picture indeed. But thankfully, that's not the case. Because directly after this warning about this uh, coming siege, well, Micah presents a, a suggestion of a solution to this sticky situation, a way that will enable things to be turned around. And what is it? Well, it's the promise of a new leader. See, the leadership in Israel is so rotten so what God's going to do, he's going to promise to send someone new. Now, where would this leader be found? Where would this ruler be found? Would he be in the, the palace in Jerusalem? Would he be in the, the northern capital of Samaria? Would he be found leading the troops in glorious victory? No. He'll be found, according to Micah, in a small backwater town called Bethlehem. Now we've got to stop here at this moment and kind of separate ourselves from the the Christmas connection to Bethlehem that we're probably so familiar with as Christians. Because in this day, Bethlehem wasn't seen as anything special. The only thing, really the only thing of note about Bethlehem in this day was that King David's family had come from there. But that's it. That was the only thing about it. Otherwise, the name of the town of Bethlehem wasn't worth the ink that you used to write it with. This town, in fact, was so small and insignificant that when the people of God initially took over the promised land in the book of Joshua, well, Joshua didn't even include it in the list of towns that Judah would be able to claim as their inheritance. Okay, it's a town in Judah. He didn't even bother listing it as one of the towns because it was so small and insignificant. It was so not worth mentioning that when Micah 
talks about it there in verse 2. He has to make sure that you know which one he's talking about. And so what does he do? He adds Ephrathah, the, the bigger region that's, that uh, Bethlehem's found in. He has to add that so you know which one he's talking about and not some other Bethlehem. There's actually one in the northern area of Israel as well. So he's got to be specific just so you know which one he's actually talking about. It would be a little like if I tried to tell you the significance of a place called Oldbury. Has anyone heard of a place called Oldbury? Oldbury, yes. I, I'd never heard of this place. I don't know. If it's, I'm hearing some yeses. It's a, it's a suburb like 25 minutes south of us, Oldbury. It'd be like if I said something fantastic was going to come from there, you'd be like, what? Who? What's going on? That's the type of insignificance that Bethlehem had in this day. But Micah says all that insignificance is about to change. Okay, let's let's read verse 2 of chapter 5. Here it is. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from of old, from ancient days. Micah says a new ruler is coming and this ruler won't be weak. The first thing that's different about this ruler, in fact, is that he will be a ruler from God. Someone who's coming, so the passage says, is from of old. It's another way from saying promised long ago. Hey, this is this leader isn't plan B from God. He's been in the works for a long time. And the clue is that he's coming from Bethlehem. Right, the one thing Bethlehem's known for is being King David's hometown. And it's no coincidence, if you know your uh, Old Testament, that King David was the one that God promised would have a son, an offspring, who would sit on the throne forever. That immediately tells us that this, that's who this ruler is. That's who this coming ruler is, a ruler from God. Now secondly, he won't rule for himself either, like the leaders of Israel. He will rule for God. Anna, did you catch that as we read verse 2? It says, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel. Okay, He won't be like the leaders that were there in Micah's day. And he won't be like so many of the leaders that we see in our day as well. He won't be like the, the politician who's only interested in getting themselves re-elected. He won't be like the, the CEO who's found guilty of embezzlement. Now, more importantly, he will be a ruler who will rule in a way that's perfectly in line with God's will, which sadly, even in our churches, is not always the case today. A former a lead pastor of a former senior pastor of a group of churches known as Hillsong, Brian Houston. He's, that's one such example that we could call, uh, talk about today. He was recently uh, forced to resign from his leadership position earlier this year uh, after an internal investigation found that he'd acted inappropriately with some women who were connected to his church. And a weak leadership fails to lead others in line with God's will. And it's self-seeking rather than seeking to follow God. And so when that happens in the church, and it does happen, and we shouldn't be, uh, you know, it, it only, it, we should recognize that it can happen anywhere. 
Okay, only by the grace of God do we avoid doing some of the things we've seen others do. And when it happens in the church, when this sort of leadership happens in the church, it's especially devastating for God's people. But the news from Micah, the prophecy from Micah, is that this coming ruler will be the opposite of weak. He won't rule in weakness, but in strength. Okay, have a look at verse 4. It says this, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Now the number one role, the number one role of a shepherd is to care for the sheep that are under his leadership. And a shepherd had to be strong in order to do that. Why? Because there are wolves. Now, a weak shepherd would run at the first sign of trouble. They're out to save themselves. But a strong shepherd will fight to protect and care for his sheep. And this ruler that we read about in Micah 5 will do just that. He won't stand in his own strength, but in God's. And if it comes to a battle of strength, well, no one beats God, do they? So if this shepherd, this ruler, shepherds people in the strength of the Lord, it means they will not be able to be defeated. And remember, Micah is saying this as the people are about to be surrounded on all sides by the Assyrians. He's saying this as the as a siege is about to be laid on their city. And we today, we're hearing this as perhaps it might feel like the same, that the world at times appears to be laying siege to God's church. And so if this is the news, if this is the promise, well, what better promise could there be? Now, what will be the result of this uh, new leader's arrival? Oh, when the leader, uh, when the leader from God ruling for God comes along, we're told in the next few lines, it says this, and they, that is God's people, shall dwell secure. For now he, the shepherd, the great ruler, he shall be great to the ends of the earth and he shall be their peace. And you see, a leader who leads well will always benefit those under their charge and when that happens when you have a leader who's leading well that will naturally lead to a more secure more stable uh, more stability for those who are under them now when your your boss at work really knows what they're doing and when they they lead your team in a selfless manner well that's going to contribute to a healthy work environment isn't it It'll make things more stable and lead to more effective work. And the same goes for here at church. The, the leaders that we have here at church, and I'm not just talking about our pastors, the leaders that we have at our church will determine under God how our church goes. I want to read a quote to you from a, a book on our church leadership by our authors Aubrey Malfers and Will Mancini. Okay, here's a quote. Here's what they say. 
everything rises or falls on leadership. The quality of any ministry is in direct proportion to the quality of its leadership. Did you get that? The quality of any ministry is in direct proportion to the quality of its leadership. That means having the right leader really matters, both out there in the world and even more importantly, in here in the church. And the leader that Micah is talking about here, well, he's come not just to do what is moral, not just to do what's right, not just to care for those under his charge, but to do it all in such a way that it lines up exactly with what God wants. And the result, what's the result? The result is that the whole world is brought under his rule. Now that's that's the only way to have true security, isn't it? If the people are going to dwell securely, it can only be the case if there's one person ruling it all. Now in our world today, the fear from a secular standpoint is that some national leader across the world somewhere will do something drastic, like push the big red button that sends our world into nuclear war. But if you had one leader who was ruling powerfully and justly for the good of those under them and doing that across the entire earth, I imagine that wouldn't be a problem. That fear of someone causing a nuclear war would not be a problem. But that would be when true security would be possible, when a selfless and strong leader is in control. Now, let me caveat that. This is not an argument for one world government because as sinful humans, we'd be sure to find a way to mess it up because we're weak and selfish. Uh, only the promised leader here can do this. They're the ruler from God who rules for God. This is the ruler who can make God's people dwell securely. God's people won't have to fear the Assyrians as they did in this day. And we won't have to fear any current world power or hostility that the world might throw at us. Because this king rules in God's power and according to God's will. And so who is it? Who is this ruler? Only one person could possibly fill this role. Only one who was from God and who ruled perfectly for God. Whose every moment of life was dedicated to leading well by putting others before himself. Who displayed that in its fullness by willingly going to die a humiliating death on the cross. Okay, something far more humiliating than a slap on the cheek. And he did it all so that those who should trust him, place their trust in him, would be able to dwell securely with God for eternity. It's the same person who was born in a town of no or little significance. And yet who had wise men come all the way from the east to approach him, to worship him and give him gifts fit for a king. In a town of little significance took place the birth of infinite significance. That's what Christmas is about. That's what the story of Christmas is about. That's what our song is about, a little town of Bethlehem. The babe from Bethlehem 
who came to bring peace and who now rules the whole world in God's strength as God's ultimate king. Who is it? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. The same one mentioned in Matthew 2 that we had read out earlier, where this passage from Micah is specifically quoted. So you might say, hold on, Josh, what what peace has he really brought? I look around at the world today, I see conflict everywhere. Just have to turn on the news for five minutes. And not just out there, I see conflict in here, in, in families, in churches, everywhere I look. So what kind of peace could he possibly bring? Well, the peace that the original hearers of Micah's prophecy, the peace that they were expecting was the peace that meant war was over. But not, not war with the Assyrians, but war with God. As you remember, it was because of God's judgment that the Assyrians were coming to lay siege on them. So they needed peace with God to end that hostility. And the truth is that judgment from God is something all of us face. If we ignore God, if we decide to set ourselves up as our own ruler, well then we too will face the siege of God's judgment. Now, can you imagine being the only person in a city that's being laid siege to? Well, that's something of what, that's a small taste of what it would be like to face God's judgment on your own. So that means that the peace that these people needed and the peace that you and I truly need isn't peace with earthly rivals, peace between people, although that is obviously a nice thing as well. And it's not calm either. I don't need calm, like a a calm, less busy, uh, peaceful Christmas period. That's not what I truly need. No, I need peace with God. The Israelites needed their wickedness to be dealt with so that God's judgment could be dealt with. That's the peace that will allow them to, to dwell securely with God. And it's the peace that I need if I'm to dwell securely with God for eternity. And that's something that only can happen and only takes place when Jesus takes God's judgment on himself in my place as he did on the cross. So is that the peace? Is that the peace that you experience this Christmas? In the hustle and bustle of the the busy Christmas season, have you come to experience the peace with God that only Jesus can bring? Now, the last verse of our song, which we're going to sing in a moment, the last verse of our song encourages us to turn to Jesus, to have him enter our hearts, to have him cast out our sin, which is what places us under God's judgment. And the news is, Jesus, the the strong king who rules in God's power, he can do that. He's the only one who can satisfy God's right judgment. So, 
this Christmas, this Christmas period, whatever might be going on for you, if you want peace, if you want true peace, come to Jesus. Come to the king from a town of little significance. The king who's from God and who rules for God. The king who can bring you peace with God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come before you knowing that by rights, because of what we've done and the way that we have lived, we deserve to face your judgment. Uh, that's what we've earned through our uh, willingness to rebel against you, to, to reject you, to say we don't need you. And yet, by your incredible grace and mercy, uh, you make promises like the one we just read in Micah, the promise fulfilled in the Lord Jesus, how he would come to be the good, powerful, just ruler that we need in order to be able to dwell with you for eternity. Father, for those here this morning that who don't know Jesus, would you encourage them to turn to him, to place their trust in him, to read the story of Christ in your scripture? For those of us who are, would we continue to praise you for all that you have done for us, for the peace that we have, despite whatever might be going on in our lives, for the eternal peace that we have with you, purely through our Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks for this and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.